the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. I, um, someone just forwarded this to me. I like this writer. Uh, in defense of Santa Claus, parents should always tell the truth, but a little make-believe never hurt anyone. I don't remember a time when I actually believed in Santa Claus, Michael Brendan Doherty writes. I remember peering out of my dark room on Christmas Eve and wishing I could extend my ear throughout the house. Just make out the sounds of wrapping paper being cut and folded. Thinking back on it now, I believe I was impressed by all the effort that went into fooling me. And I know that I repaid the effort, that effort by pretending to believe that the presents labeled from Santa really were from him, at least for a few more years. One year, Santa delivered to me a book about the natural sciences, disclosing the fact that the North Pole is uninhabited and uninhabitable. No, var, no voice in my heart told me to doubt it. You're not a bad parent if you tell your three-year-old there is no Santa Claus. I don't care if you make Santa a more explicit game of pretend. Your children may find ways of believing in Santa despite your best efforts at being the Christopher Hitchens of the holiday season. But I am unpersuaded by the more principled anti-Claus chorus. There is something too flatly literalistic, even puritanical, about their arguments Radical Protestants of an older stripe thought holidays like Christmas were offensive because God is with us every day and because they hated the Mass in Christ's Mass. How this translated in practice was that around the time other people began making merry, the dour low churchman marked the time with especially strenuous sermons against holy days. Similarly, just as parents are conjuring a model of abundant generosity and joy, today's killjoys make it a season of remote sermonizing against materialism. This misses the point entirely. A materialist looks under the tree and sees the year's economic surplus badly invested. It takes a spiritual person to see it as the work of St. Nick, as a recurrence of the Magi or an imitation of the great generosity of the Godchild born. Only the devil wants your Christmas to be just like all the other days, save the mortifications for Lent. What about this issue parents are saying we're lying to our children? Of course it is wrong to lie, and some parents botch the whole Santa thing by going to extremes, forcing the magic down their child's throat or turning Santa into a punitive NSA agent who collects naughty and nice data. But Santa doesn't have to be about deception. He can be a revelation instead. The great English writer G.K. Chesterton said that Santa was still real to him as an adult. Love G.K. Chesterton. You want to read someone great? Just read G.K. Chesterton. I love C.S. Lewis. G.K. Chesterton's book, come, uh, gosh, it's a fact. You know, I spent some time, great time, a couple weeks ago, um, talking about uh, Alexis de Tocqueville and his democracy in America and what he found here when he came here in the 1830s and published about in the 1840s. Uh, and we did that with Pete Peterson 
and obviously Tocqueville huge, a lesser known but equally great observation of America just a little less than a century later was when G.K. Chesterton came here and wrote a book, What I Found in America, or What I Saw in America, published 1922, I want to say, somewhere right around there. It's a fantastic book. I used to quote from it, Bill. Do you remember? This probably isn't your first time hearing of it. I'll find the opening quote I love so much about what the real myths of America are. Uh, He has a great phraseology about how um, it's actually inequality that's the myth in America. Inequality is the myth. As much as people try and force that we are such an unequal or inequitable country, he said he found inequality was the real myth. And I'll I'll find that at the break. I I know I can get my my hands on it at the break. Maybe we'll pick up on that in the next segment. But, uh, yeah, you want to read great stuff? G.K. Chesterton is great stuff. Anyway, back to uh, this. What what G.K. Chesterton said about Santa, uh, Santa Claus to him as an adult, quote, as a child, I was faced with a phenomenon requiring explanation. I hung up at the end of my bed an empty stocking, which in the morning became a full stocking. I had done nothing to produce the things that filled it. I had not worked for them or made them or helped to make them. I had not even been good. Far from it. And the explanation was that a certain being whom people called Santa Claus was benevolently disposed toward me. What we believed was that a certain benevolent agency did give us those toys for nothing. And as I say, I believe it still. I have merely extended the idea. Once I only thanked Santa Claus for a few dollars and crackers. Now I thank him for stars and street faces and wine and the great sea. Once I thought it delightful and astonishing to find a present so big that it only went halfway into the stocking. Now, I'm delighted and astonished every morning to find a present so big that it takes two stockings to hold it and then leaves a great deal outside. It is the large and preposterous present of myself as to the origin of which I can offer no suggestion except that Santa Claus gave it to me in a fit of peculiarly fantastic good will. That was G.K. Chesterton. Kind of a nice way to frame your mind in thinking and thought, isn't it? Especially when some people maybe get a little depressed around these times. Some religious parents, Doherty writes, some religious, back to Doherty, some religious parents may worry that when the truth about Santa inevitably gets out, it will endanger their children's religious faith. I doubt it. As an adolescent, I tied my atheism to my disbelief in tooth fairies, and Santa Claus. I flattered myself that I did not need comforting myths, but the truth was more complicated. My rejection of church was partly a way of affiliating with my non-church-going relatives and with being modern and young as I then conceived those ideas. Atheism was a far more comforting idea to me in those years than belief in a biblical God, but that's the problem with 12-year-olds. All of them have a bit of Richard Dawkins' glib skepticism in them somewhere. Unless your commitment to Santa and to God look roughly equivalent, there's probably not much danger that St. Nick will ruin your kids for religion. But humorlessness and literalism might actually do that trick. There's also something to be said for a light touch with magic and myth. For letting the fairies out of your soda bread and for what Chesterton called creative credulity in another defense of Santa, this doesn't mean accepting fantastic stories cravenly and literally, but inhabiting them with zest. 
A few years after I stopped believing in Santa Claus, my mother took me to the Aran Islands off the west coast of Ireland. Someone there told me to look for fairies around the rock walls. The very strangeness of the terrain and of the thatched roofs and of the thick voices speaking the Irish language let me detach myself from my already arid skepticism. What if it's real here? Without this, it may have just been a walk through a strange place. With it, I had an adventure across each walk wall and in each gale from the sea. It's the only day of the entire trip that I remember with any clarity at all. On a return trip last year, I still found those islands enchanting. I still say the fairies are there. Except for Elf on the Shelf, which is obviously wicked. Do what you want on the holidays, but don't be bullied into pulling Santa out of Christmas. Yeah, there is this kind of new a-religious or atheistic, um, pro- uh, shall we say, scolding. This this atheistic um, scolding of <laughs> taking away all good fairy tales from children and forcing them into what we were talking about a little bit yesterday in my opening monologue last hour today. You know, just ruining childhood, ruining the the fairy tales, the enchantment, the mystery, and the adventure. There's no reason really to do it, these scolds. These scolds that want to deprive people of all fun, and particularly children, and want them to have the views and imaginations that lead to, you know, the kinds of views and imaginations maybe adults are better suited for. It's, it's, just, it's just another way to ruin childhood. Magic, mystery, adventure, enchantment, they're still great things. They're still wonderful things for kids. And if you want your kid to smile, you know what the best way to get their attention is? few better ways I know of, from all the anecdotes and studies I've seen, few better ways to get your child to look at you with imagination, curiosity, and attention than to say to them those three words. Once upon, four words, once upon a time. Once upon a time. It's usually not going to be true, but you've got that kid locked in when you say it. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, our friends at Y-Refi are here to help. They have an investment option in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that is not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. And there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, up to 10 and a quarter percent. It's a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. They're locally based and um, you can talk with them. You can meet with them. You won't get a sales pitch. They just like uh, talking about what it is that they do. Proud they are of it, rightfully so. Letting it speak for itself. Mike is in uh, Maricopa. Hello, Mike. Yes. 
good afternoon, Seth. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever. Good morning, America. How are you? There you go. It's got to be morning somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) yes. I'd like to talk a little bit about this Twitter stuff. And I guess there was a recent revelation about Tucker Carlson and something about coordinate, communicate, and collaborate with the Pentagon. I missed the Tucker Carlson element, I think. But you can inform us. Okay, well, I I did not. I don't have TV. I don't have computer. But I heard on a clip on somebody's morning broadcast that now with this latest Twitter dump from Elon Musk, that now it appears that not only is the CIA and the FBI, (laughs) but also they're collaborating with the Pentagon. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, okay. Now, when I heard that, I... I was thinking, okay, we've got all these three different groups, the FBI, CIA, Pentagon, and I'm thinking, I wonder if these people are talking to each other or are they all operating independently of each other? And also uh, throw into the mix of the thought process uh, about what we had discussed many moons ago was about information operations Uh and information influence operations. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing that now. But as I was pondering that this morning, all of a sudden it came to me, and I recall I had seen this, and I, and this must have been, it, this was well before the Trump administration, and I think I saw it in the Army Times, maybe the Air Force Times, some type of military publication, but it was talking about these people that had gone through the Army War College, the military colleges, whether it's you know, West Point yep. or uh, the Air Force Academy yeah, or Annapolis or something like or that. Something uh-huh. Annapolis, yep. yes. Yeah. And then after they completed those courses, then they were still in the military, but then they were lent to the where they did a one-year assignment with organizations like the CIA and the FBI. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, so they were a liaison of some kind, or they were embedded there for some purpose or some assignment. Okay. Yes, to help and advise Uh and stuff. And, you know, this was all at the height of Iraq and Afghanistan, and I'm I'm not sure what they were doing. But it just seemed to me, you know, we remember all the way back to September 11, 2001, when they says, oh, we would have known that this was going to happen because the CIA had Yeah, right, the wall, the Jamie Gorelick wall that prevented people from talking to one another. Right. 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 But. But then we found out that the FBI has a permanent liaison in the CIA. He doesn't go to, you know, wherever the FBI headquarters is when he reports to work. He in goes the to morning. Langley. The FBI agent goes to Langley. Yeah. Okay. So we already have a nexus there of the communication, coordination, collaboration with them. Yeah. And now we have the deal of about a, maybe five, maybe closer to ten years ago with the people graduating from the military academies doing a one-year stint in the intelligence operations. And then now all of a sudden we're supposed to be all shocked and surprised that we find out that the Pentagon's collaborating with Twitter just the same way that the CIA and the FBI. I think we're getting hosed here. Yeah, we are getting hosed. And now some of the FBI collaboration with CIA, if they're efforting foreign international operations, I don't mind that that wouldn't raise. I don't think it would raise an eyebrow for you or me. The FBI does obviously operate abroad. It's the CIA that can't operate domestically, right? So we wouldn't mind 
if the FBI counterterrorism is, is working with the CIA. In fact, uh, probably the more collaboration in a better world and with a better FBI and CIA, the better. Um, <laughs> if, if, if I'm wrong about that, you let me know. There's something like, what, 17 different intelligence agencies, including the Defense Intelligence Agency itself, right? And the CIA was reorganized and some would say disorganized uh, after um, – after uh, at, right shortly after nine eleven as well, uh, Mike, everything here is 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 going to be shown to stink really badly, and I don't even know. I know that there are some some people who are writing that there's this was bad but not illegal. I'm not sure it wasn't illegal. I'm not sure it wasn't unconstitutional. I'm not sure that people can't actually sue. Uh, under civil under uh, under uh, old uh, civil rights statutes or I should say KKK Act statutes because the government under at least a theory going back to the 20s and with law that was even implanted in the federal code before that the federal government cannot force or entice a private agency or a private institution to do what it cannot itself constitutionally do. It can't co-opt the private sector, in other words, to do its dirty work for it. Um, There was one other thought I had with what you were saying, and I'm sure it'll come to me in a minute. But um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just hoping all of this will be aired and ventilated and revealed. Oh, yes. Coordination. I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll find some. But, you know, I've said things like this before. I. I don't even know if you needed coordination for this to happen, if there were multiple agencies engaging with Twitter and Facebook and other social media companies. You know, they just kind of all know what to do. You know, they're working for a principle. And the principle, like a school, sets the tone and temperature of the school. And, you know, the teachers know what's expected of them. They know what the mission of the educational organization is. And I think that's really true of the federal government. Uh, They may not need instruction. They just know, okay, this is what we're doing. And look at all that Peter Strzok stuff. Mike, thank you, sir. Be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If it's Wednesday, we check in with our constitutional and uh, legal scholar, uh, Brett Johnson. He is a partner with the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, SW Law. Dot com and uh, delighted to have you again with us today. Brett, I wanted to cover a couple of things with you, uh, including the January 6th referral of criminal charges. But before we get there, talk to me about this thing I see flying around here and there on social media. I don't know if it's a conspiracy. I don't know what it is, but this idea that uh, fires can't be lit on Christmas Day. Talk to me about what's going on here. Yes, it seems like there is a tradition um, as old as Santa Claus himself um, that uh, at least Maricopa County and other counties throughout the country put in no burn days on two of the major holidays uh, of the year, including Christmas, Christmas Eve, as as well as New Year's. And I just remembered when I've, I've seen the notices go out that they've already declared no burn days coming up. 
And I remember our former county attorney, and, and unfortunately she passed away, Alistair Adele, who regularly talked about how there was no justification for it, and, it said, and she wanted to know who the Grinch was who was constantly putting out these no-burn days. Now, I'm sure that there is a reason why everybody's at home, businesses are closed, that there needs to be a no-burn day, but there, there, somebody needs to get to the bottom of it that's just kind of interesting that it's just on those days in particular. Well, like by no burn day. Now, these are days when you can't light fires in your in your fireplace. Why is this not exactly. a public health thing to save Santa Claus? Well, you know, that is, that's probably a fair point, and he probably has a very good lobbyist or government attorney, yeah. um, and he just didn't call me, so maybe <laughs> I should take that one up. I think uh, this is the, the only public health requirement I have heard that actually makes sense in the last three years. Yes. Okay. Well, Seth, you might have come to the answer yeah. as to why we have this dilemma. Yeah. I and think, yeah. It's, a, it's the same thing with Nor- NORAD. Yes. I mean, how, how does NORAD track Santa Claus going that fast? I yeah. mean, these are issues that are of weighty concern, yeah. and we need to come to the bottom of them. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I, you know, um, I, I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> I guess I, but uh, on, <laughs> I really don't. You stumped me here, Brett, or I stumped you. I'm not sure which happened, <laughs> but but the no burn days. Uh, I my sense is they're mostly they're mostly followed in the breach. I. Do people really pay attention to that? I guess in some neighborhoods they do. I guess I don't know. They they do, and there, there's a there's a good sizable penalty that's associated yeah. with it. And you know, obviously, I mean, uh, who wants to be the Grinch and, and tell on their neighbor yeah. during during the holiday yeah. season? But I, I'm sure it happens. When I've looked into it before, because of course I'm a curious guy, yeah. um, it it is rarely rarely enforced. Um, there obviously is the the justification uh, that that's put out as to, as to the reason why. Yeah. But I'm I'm just always curious as to who who's the one is there a, a tickler on that person's calendar every year is like ah oh, i got it i'm yeah. going to be putting out the notice of a no burn day on christmas day two weeks in advance it's just one of those things that you kind of have to go uh-huh there's something here well there is a bunch of busybodies around town that have nothing better to do than to report on uh, on joy and festivity wherever they find it i remember during some of the more uh, draconian uh, covid measures that even our mayor was putting out a hotline to report on people that heaven forfend would have gatherings outside even during Thanksgiving. So clearly, I mean, clearly there's there there, there is a, a series of busybody Karens that would, that would pardon the pardon you know if your name is Karen I don't mean to to cast dispersions <laughs> but in the parlance of our times there is a population here that gets gets a little uppity about these things. They they do they do and and I think that you know there's 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 uh, definitely a justification for it. Now, for the phone number that you have to call, yeah. now what I think would be clever is that if the county like redirected that to Santa Claus yes. and, and had that person basically be reporting on themselves yes. that they're telling yes. on their neighbors. Yes, 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 because Her. the cookies and milk will come to naught if uh, if we have third-degree burns and a lot of children not getting their toys because he had the uh, he made the bad judgment of stopping in Phoenix first and someone wasn't obeying. All right, fair enough. All right, Brett, when we come back, let's pick up, though, on um, on on the the January 6th committee, if we can, that uh, that has referred four, uh, four charges, I think, to the Department of Justice uh, uh, that they have found um, against Donald Trump. Can we do that when we come right back? 
I mean, we solved one problem, clearly. We'll, we did. We'll, we'll, we'll solve the net. Fred Johnson is our guest, obviously in good humor and good sport, but we'll move from the ridiculous to the sublime right quick. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Brett Johnson with us, uh, partner at the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm. SWLaw.com is their website if you want to reach him or any of his colleagues. Uh, we've had some of your other colleagues on from time to time, uh, Brett, when you've been absent. All right, so this is going to be kind of an interesting uh, thing. The January 6th committee basically wrapping up its work. I think it went on for about 18 months. And they referred four criminal charges, I guess. You, you straighten me out wherever I get anything wrong here to the Department of Justice. I believe the charges are obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to make false statements and inciting, assisting or aiding in insurrection. Uh, first of all, the legal weight of anything this committee does and then maybe some of the uh, some of the potential potentialities that the Department of Justice might take with this referral, Brett. Yeah, and and just as a way of background, anybody can can try to quote unquote refer charges or refer a complaint to the Department of okay. Justice or any prosecutorial unit for that matter. You okay. can go down to the county or the city prosecutor and, and do the same thing. Um, and, so the fact that this was some kind of file a police yeah. report that something yeah. is wrong, okay. you're basically referring that there there was some sort of criminal conduct that needs to be reviewed. So it's a little bit different here, uh, but only slightly, but this is a referral from the legislature, the Congress, um, or the House in this context, um, to the Department of Justice. And, they, and, and, the, and the House has done this before, obviously, in regard to other officials. This is the first time they've done it in regard to a former president. So it, 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 there is a process to, to receive it, and then the Department of Justice does, could literally put it on a shelf and not look at it, or they can review it. Um, um, and then, um, you know, take action as they deem necessary. What's different because it's the House is the House does have oversight over all executive agencies, including the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. And so when you get these referrals or in the civil context, uh, a congressional inquiry, you, you definitely look at it from a government perspective, a prosecutorial perspective. You look at it a little bit closer because you probably have to report, either do some sort of formal report back on what you did or you did not do, or you're going to face very uncomfortable questionings during a, a House hearing. Mm-hmm. So they, they will look at it, and my expect is that there would be some sort of response or action, mm-hmm. but that's, that's the, the, the ultimate question. As to the elements, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm assuming all of these are actual crimes in the federal code. Uh, Correct. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I, I'm not familiar, not really well familiar. I know I know a little bit about false statement law, but and we've all become <laughs> expert, I guess, at, or thinking we've become expert at incite, incitement or assisting and aiding and abetting insurrection, we've all become kind of lay lawyers as we've been forced to over the last two years. The elements of these things, can they can they be satisfied through lack of action? I mean, that's the one that I, I, I get so hung up on, especially on the most the most incendiary, the inciting or aiding and abetting of insurrection. Can you do that through lack of action? 
Well, you 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 could in the context of conspiracy, okay. right? Okay. In, the, in the sense that you didn't take an action you were otherwise supposed to take okay. because you wanted to support the conspiratorial act. Okay. And again, uh, for a conspiracy or a RICO charge in a different context, which there's a lot of similarities with what's going on right now about a RICO investigation, mm-hmm. is the left hand and the right hand don't necessarily need to know what's going on. There's just a third party that kind of needs to be coordinating the whole thing. So you could say, I had absolutely no idea they were going to do this, but this individual knew that I wasn't going to take action um, as part of my duties. So, But it's going to be still a very, very hard case to make from a Department of Justice based off of the House report. And let me let me stop there for a second and explain, explain that concept. So the Department of Justice has been doing this ongoing criminal investigation into January 6th and, and the 2020 election, but they've taken it from a bottom-up perspective. And I mentioned the RICO um, uh, similarities. That's how they usually go after organized crimes. They they look at the, they try to take it from layer to layer, starting at the, the person on the bottom and then work it up through management, and then eventually you get a kingpin. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how Department of Justice has traditionally created cases. The House took it from a different direction. They looked at the top, and then they worked their way down. Uh-huh. So the focus was primarily on um, the former President Trump. Uh-huh. The problem, if I'm Department of Justice, is, is that in, in a way, you've just tainted my investigation. Because the House investigation was political. I'm not trying to say they didn't have the right to do it or it wasn't within their authority, but it was within the political environment of Article 2 and Article 2, presidential and the legislature. It's always about politics there, right? Mm -hmm. In this context of you doing something for politics, and even though it's part of pursuant to a subpoena and Mm -hmm. you're being sworn under oath and everything, there's still that politics. Mm -hmm. Prosecutors try to stay out of that. It's just the facts, ma'am. So the fact that you have, the House has interviewed witnesses before the prosecutors do, that is, as a front prosecutor, that is sometimes concerning because now you're quote-unquote tainted, Mm -hmm. and that could be used during your testimony in front of a jury that didn't you first testify here? Didn't you first then go on CNN or go on Fox News and, and, and talk about X? And, and prosecutors just really don't like that. So that's, that's the concern I'm sure that is going on right now um, back at Maine Justice. Let me uh, issue, <coughs> see if you think this is potential. I, I haven't heard anyone else say this. It's not, I'm not saying they haven't. I just haven't seen it. But I have a speculation here of something that may very well happen as long as we're talking about politicizing things or politics and law here. Yep. Here's what I think might very well happen. I think this referral goes to the Department of Justice and Joe, President Joe Biden issues a blanket pardon on Donald Trump so that the country can move forward and really gets an upper hand over and against Donald Trump by doing so, because now Donald Trump has to theoretically or seemingly be indebted to Joe Biden for pardoning his potential uh, or, uh, or, or committed crimes. I, I think that could possibly be an eventuality. I think it would be smart politics if I were a Democrat, by the way. And and definitely, obviously, that was the Nixon approach. You know, President Ford came in and gave gave the blanket uh, um, a pardon. Mm -hmm. Um, But that didn't work out so well for President Ford, if you remember. He didn't win the next election. Um, 
so so I think that if if that were to happen, obviously that's completely within the discretion um, of of President Biden to do. Um, how, however, and especially with ongoing, and you saw this also for pardons when President Trump was that's in, right. people were currently under investigation, right. yeah. and and President Trump pardoned them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I thought it would have been a political. Um, a political powerhouse move if Donald Trump were to pardon Hillary Clinton for a lot of the crimes that had been alleged around her, showing some kind of indebtedness on her part to him in the way that <laughs> Biden might do this for Trump, kind of as a way of having an upper hand of, of, uh, of moral moral credibility or political uh, a political win. I, I just Well, think if, it, if, it, if this happens, Seth, I'm coming back on here and paying you homage. All right, and I'm lighting my... I'm lighting my fires on Christmas. All right. All right. I already, I already started two. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Johnson, uh, unless, uh, unless we don't talk before then, a very Merry Christmas to you and Heather and the family. Absolutely. Merry Christmas, everyone. God bless you. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. with a high fixed rate of return available to you that is not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn in an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. A due diligence approved firm. You can check YRefi out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com, or give them a call at 888 YRefi34. 888 YRefi34. As I say, really good guys. Based here locally, you can uh, visit with them, talk with them, and uh, you won't get a sales pitch. They just uh, like talking about what it is that they do and letting it speak for itself. The way Brett was kind of talking about how the January 6th committee went about this investigation, um, it, 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 I, I, I won't put words in his mouth, but the thing I kept thinking about, I'm betting a lot of you were thinking about too, and it's that old uh, Lavrentelli Berea notion. Uh, he was the uh, secret police chief under Joseph Stalin who said, you show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Uh, First bring the man, then get the crime. Don't find the crime and then get the man. Because it's very hard still to me to this day, after having followed all that was investigated in the January 6th committee, very hard to see this smoking gun that we kept being told was going to materialize. I don't know how marching peacefully and patriotically or invoking uh, uh, you know, telling people to, to march peacefully and patriotically can be ratcheted up to causing a, a riot, especially blocks away and especially when you're still speaking. I, I, I just haven't seen the smoking gun. It's the same smoking gun Adam Schiff kept promising when it came to Russian collusion. So I'm thinking this political thing with Biden issuing a pardon might be where this is headed. Um, not that there's anything to be pardoned for, which is what I just said. But I think it's a matter of politics. Anyway, we'll mark it and we'll watch for it. All right. uh, The great David Murray coming right up. Be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.